0: Welcome one and all to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind podcast. My name's Imran. TJ Sutherland. Dan Kolokar.
1: With new episodes released on the
2: first and third Mondays of the month. Catch Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com.
1: Welcome friends, you're tuned in to another episode of the Close Encounters of the NerdKind right. podcast. Thank you for your time and your company for the show today. Uh, my name's Imran and uh, before we jump in... Uh, to the episode today a quick reminder that we release podcast episodes on the first and third Mondays of every month and um, you can find us at our uh, website hub of forever in electric Dreams.com, where you can find the full backlist catalog of our podcast as well as all the offshoot uh, uh, podcasts that we have going on and uh, our ongoing mixes page as well so um, yes we'd love for you to check us out. In the meantime, uh, as I said, my name's Imran. I am joined
3: by TJ Sutherland. How are you, sir? I'm good. I was just wondering, actually, how many episodes Mm. have we got in that back catalogue? We are... This is episode... Is it like 2,000 at
1: this point? It feels like 2,000. Uh, You know, I I was about to announce it with pride, and (laughs) now you said... Now the number it's being compared against is 2,000. So we're actually at about only 1,400. So now I'm a bit embarrassed. (laughs) I think this is episode 31. Okay, I think I tell you, are thirty-one. Yeah, that's That's all right. Healthy number. That's healthy number. I think so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's no two thousand. It's no
3: two thousand. But hey, it's
1: no two thousand. It is what it is. All that effort shot down, obliterated. (laughs) Um, uh, Dan, how how are you today?
0: Follow that, Dan. (laughs) I'm lost for words.
1: That's health. That's good for a podcast. That's why we're numbers <laughs> are so. <low. laughs>
0: I'm just going to remain silent throughout.
1: Oh gosh, um, what like what, like
0: a, like a protest, Dad?
1: Oh, oh smoothly linked, <laughs> TJ Sutherland. Yes, that's right, friends. Today's episode uh, is about rebellion. Uh, uh, more specifically, we're answering the question of who would you cite as the ultimate music rebel or the ultimate music rebellious act in music? Sorry. Um, we're kind of looking at we're kind of dissecting that question and the gamut of, of kind of, um, uh, acts of rebellion that fall under that category. Cause I, I, I think it's quite an expansive, kind of territory i suppose you look at initially the act of rebelling against uh, a person a record label um a a political party uh, the establishment war famine um music itself an artist kind of rebelling against expectations that have been placed on them and kind of exploring completely new fields so I, i think it's kind of it's a really expansive list and um I was going to ask each of you first, before we kind of jump in, we have a few specific examples we're going to cite. I have a couple of honorable mentions I was going to open with, but before we do, let's turn to uh, Dan first, if I may. The question of rebellion in music, uh, regardless of what you may have initially selected to discuss, what does that kind of ring out in you? What were the initial thoughts you have, you had of what constitutes rebellion within the world of the realms of music?
0: Well, I think probably different to you and TJ because I didn't li- I didn't take it as literal as in within the music industry or the actual physical, you know, kind of um, the act of being under a contract or working for a record company. I didn't really think of it like that. As soon as the term rebel came up, I kind of immediately jumped to Rage Against Machine, then Public Enemy. Mm -hmm. Um,
3: Did you perhaps think of a famous Russian female group? I can't remember what their name is, though. Imran, (laughs) do you remember what their name is? Uh, I don't know. uh, What is the uh, name?
0: What cheeky girls... uh,
3: uh no, they weren't Russian. <laughs> oh right. Okay. Uh, I'm. I'm sure it'll come back I to me. Can't, uh, no, no. I right,
0: honestly Is it like vagina protest. <laughs>
3: Yeah, something like that, but not quite that. No. Hey man, you—you, I'm sure you, you, you truly remember it. Like, no, I.
1: Do you, you mean like a, a history, Russian I was like, a duo? It's two two girls
3: that were. No, no, it's a group of them, and oh, anyway, it'll come back. To, it'll, yeah, it'll oh, come back to me. Don't worry, don't
0: worry. We'll, we'll, right, we'll right, cover right. that. We'll cover that later. <laughs> I think it was more than one. I think, sorry, more than two. Up, in that. up to fifteen at one point. In, but, oh wow!
3: Yeah. Oh wow! Really? Okay. I've, I've done. I've done no. my research.
1: No. <laughs> Not that I know who you're talking about.
3: Because
0: <laughs> I am a professional, all right? Remember right. that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I was thinking of the themes within the music, what people were actually singing about in terms of a kind of form of protest, you know, kind of rebelling against society uh NWA, you know, rebelling against authority, the police. Um so I kind of I sort of jumped about in that space at first and then, you know, after kind of chatting to you both, I was kind of thinking there's there's so much more uh to the act of rebelling in rebellion mm. in music. Than the you know than lyrics than the actual songs themselves yeah um you know again I don't want to get <laughs> get too deep but you know there, there's so much around character identity um you know the conformity um so yeah before I I think I, w- I won't go down that path yet because it'd be interesting to get TJ's J's taking it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much covered it all, to be honest. I think, for me, um, you're, you're right. You know, you kind of look at the, the classic and you know, public enemies, that that sort of stuff of the world. Um, the ones that are known for their activism and, you know, speaking, speaking out against uh, wrongs that are happening in the world. I think, as well, I think there's also, I, I think it'll show it in my selection as well, <clears throat> I think there's also rebellion in the form of, you know, someone that's known for doing one thing, taking a bit of a left turn and doing something, yeah. something different, um, in a way rebelling against their fans, maybe for the their expectations, I guess. Yeah. They? So yeah, respe- rebelling against the expectation of their fans and, and rebelling against, you know, what is perceived to be the norms for their genre or whatever it is. So someone who innovates or, um, does something a little bit different to to kind of really shake things up and, and say, hey, look, I'm an artist, I'm not just this thing. So um so yeah, I think that's the other the other side of it as well.
1: The very first thought, this isn't something that I've um sort of prepared anything on, but when I thought of Rebels in music, the very first thought I had was that archetypal, probably 70s uh sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of mm. uh rocker. You know, it, mm. and it's not there isn't really a comment that goes beyond that in terms of what I had sort of planned to talk about, but that, that concept of rebellion against the man, the system, uh, yeah, I suppose. Cover, any, cover
3: like, anyone in the six, in, in the, um, yeah, in, in the 70s, 60s, 70s. Wasn't
1: it? 70s yeah. It, yeah. Like, like the stones or whatever it is. That was sort yeah. of when I thought about when you, like a, a person, a specific person that would adopt that role, that was initially the first thought I had, but it was kind of the more I, I thought about it, like you both already had kind of deduced on your on your own, you know, as in you both already said, it's quite a wide gamut of 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 things that kind of uh, constitute rebellion uh, within music and just beyond the the thematics of what they would be singing about. So that's why I kind of thought this was a really interesting kind of conversation to have uh, about it. Um, oh, go ahead, teach.
3: I was just going to say, before, I don't know if you were going to go into what our picks were, but during my research phase, because I am a professional, um, I <laughs> found uh, an article. What were you uh,
1: researching? That's what I want to know, to find out that band name that you are. Were...
3: <laughs> doing. Don't worry about that part. Don't worry about that. Um, in uh, Rolling Stone, who are, apparently they know a thing or two about music, they did a reader's poll of the 10 Greatest Rock and Roll Rebels. Um right which I found quite enjoy. I mean, I guess they focus on rock and roll, because rock and roll is I guess the traditional um, genre, I guess, for that kind of, like you say, the kind of 60s, 70s, rebellious mm. rock and roll spirits. And a lot of the acts are kind of from that era. But um, yeah, I mean, like, should I just run through it real quick? So it's only yeah, please, years, yeah. But, uh, number 10, you've got David Bowie. Right. Number nine, Axel Rose. Number eight, Frank Zappa. Shout out to uh, my girlfriend's uh, dad. He's a big Frank Zappa fan. Uh, you
0: your girlfriend's dad was Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> that's Could be. Could yeah, that's
3: be. Right. Could be. Uh, number seven, John Lennon. Number six, Johnny Cash. I did some reading up on Johnny Cash, actually. I didn't realize he was... Quite as crazy as, uh, as, uh, as yeah. he is, uh, as he was. Sorry. Um, number five, Iggy Pop. Number four, Keith Richards. Uh, number three, Zach de la Roca. Rocha? Rocker? Rocker. Uh, number two, Bob Dylan. And number one, Jim Morrison. You see? And that was, v- that was voted for by readers. Not, that wasn't just like, they didn't need come with that one.
0: I can't. I mean, why Axel Rose? What I mean.
3: So, uh, it's, so there's actually there's more to the story that because it's it, that, I thought that was a bit of a weird one as well. But then when I kind of read, like his like breaking up of the band and how much he's like, it's a lot of the stuff that he's done feels like rebelling against the huge popularity of Guns N' Roses to strip it all down and do his own thing. I mean, whether that's rebellious or just Obnoxious. Ding. I mean, Ding. making you know, <laughs> <laughs> it you know, but I guess uh, yeah. Um, I mean, considering <clears throat> if he had just conformed and just like done the whole thing and uh, or done a reunion of any sorts and just gone for the money deal, that would have been the
0: Well, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. thank
0: um, have because it's far, he he's far better um, rather than doing uh, almost like a karaoke act. Of Guns and Roses without <laughs> the main, you know, without the rest of the band, that's now, that, yeah, you know, they're now actually, to, and they're awesome again. To be fair, the
3: this article was from twenty thirteen, so I assume they oh, got right. that together after that. Yeah, so yeah, yes, they did. You're but right. yeah, I think yeah, Axel Rose aside, I think that's actually not that bad a list. Yeah, it's really interesting because
1: I think there's two things there in terms of. Uh, the notion of uh, if you're a rebel doesn't mean you're you're the hero so like Mm. you've sort of used the Axel example the the Axel Rose example it's you know many people as you both sort of indicated uh that he may not be the hero of that story but he would still constitute uh sort of rebelling whatever it was he was rebelling against but you also have that kind of hellraiser uh kind of examples in that list as well as the the kind of the the peace uh kind of the the flag wavers of of kind of peace and love etc etc as well so yeah it is an expansive kind
0: of uh uh term yeah i hate to say this sorry to interrupt but that list is absolute pony <laughs> <laughs> Not because, don't get me wrong I, I, I mean david bowie certainly johnny cash certainly there's there's, there's many you know that and frank Zappa. that there's there's quite a lot of good um valid john, john lennon well what because he he got in a bed he sat in a bed for a few months or something, but he did. He shunned the whole
3: like because you know that that band like Beatles weren't weren't shit, but you know they uh, well not that they weren't shit, but I mean that's that's yeah. subjective. I know, I know but...
0: what you're trying to say, but ultimately yeah. he he were there were two massive egos in that band, um, him and Paul McCartney, and they they just couldn't get along and. I think John Lennon became interested in different things. So, so yeah, I guess um, he's, you know, I would more see it as staying true to himself. Hmm. Uh, I don't really know that that's rebelling. Just just like I don't see that with Axl Rose. You know, yeah. he, he, he stayed true to himself and decided that, you know, ultimately, uh, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. I mean, John Lennon actually had some success with that. Uh, Axl Rose didn't. Um, and and you know David Bowie, he reinvented himself and his music over and over again, and and continuously, you know, defied any preconceptions about what he is and his music. And so, you're
3: not not having Iggy Pop.
0: Iggy, I'm not really a fan of Iggy Pop, so I can't really, I can't make, um, I can't make a, a valid. Uh, critique on him I, I, I don't really think that wearing a pair of jeans and, and no shirt for 50 years is rebelling to me. Um, but it was a black tie event bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean that's pretty pretty ballsy. <laughs> well,
0: apparent,
3: apparently he used to cut his chest open with glass and dive. Uh, used to dive head first into crowds only occasionally dislocating his shoulder in the process
0: Interesting. See, see where I was going to go with as soon as you said Iggy Pop I thought hang on Iggy you Pop first is from the commercials <laughs> <laughs> no 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 uh, well yeah that, that's a good yeah he definitely sold out there but i was thinking black flag you know henry rollins uh you know punk bands where literally they would have fights with their with their audience you know bottling fans and fans physically oh, you know, punching them in the face but but also a lot of the music was quite you know uh it was fairly anti-society rabble rousing sort of protest music sorry can yeah. i
1: jump in what, no, what I, don't,
0: I don't know that those bands at all what was going on in that what do you
1: mean that they people buy tickets to come to their show and they were why would why would fights
3: break out like Oh, and punk, yeah! Old school punk con- uh, yeah. like concerts were absolute carnage, mate. Wow! Just, just yeah, you know, just
0: think of it as a form of you know, think of moshing. Yeah, mm, so yeah, obviously moshing and jumping. Um, but you know, but this was wow. Not not always uh, right wing skinheads. It didn't necessarily. It wasn't always right wing. But well, they, yeah, I was going
3: to say when they like anti anti government though. I don't yeah, know if they were right wing, but... but I think they were like National
0: Front and that sort of stuff.
3: Well, actually, I'm I'm casting casting uh, making assumptions there. Maybe not. But...
0: No, I, it, it's all of those things. I think that you know, you, there, there's a, a right wing punk faction. There's a left wing punk faction. Faction. Yeah. There's ones that just hate everybody. You know, it, it <laughs> hates society. Full stop.
3: Full life, baby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's been a lot of okay. So we we we've kind of gone that route of rock. Um, And that sort of notion of, well, the sex, drugs and rock and roll, where do you think hip hop fits in uh, as a vehicle or a genre for rebellion? Um, Again, that was the second thought I had after that kind of rock, um, kind of that, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll thing. I I thought something, you know, people who have kind of really built an identity on the notion of being a rebel people like Tupac or Eminem um, and uh, obviously uh, Public Enemy and WA etc but where do you think hip-hop fits in within the concept of rebellion as a theme within their music as well as them uh, sort of as 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 individuals
3: I guess for me the kind of transition from probably around sort of late 80s into early 90s the rise of Sort of gangster rap, like hip hop. Well, prior to that, actually, you probably you probably go into sort of grand, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, that sort of stuff. Uh, white Lines, and um, you know, talking about the first kind of hip hop that spoke about life on the streets. That wasn't just chatting about happiness and party, and, and, party yeah. and that sort of stuff. So I think it was a, it was a transition around the eighties where it started to get harder and harder. And then I think it really kind of blew up again, kind of rebelling against the norms of hip hop with like the, the gangster rap, West coast, East coast, that sort of stuff. Um, that was a real sort of shift in the whole culture of rap. Uh, yeah. I think, um, and then post that, I kind of lost interest now. Um, and then post that, I guess, <laughs> um, I guess it kind of went an- another way in terms of, you know, the kind of puff daddies of the world. And it all got a bit shiny and a bit, a bit bling bling and money and all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if that was so much a rebellion as much as it was a buying into how much money was being made in hip hop at that point, because that was yeah. kind of like the late nineties and hip hop was huge. There was a lot can of money going Can I
0: interject a tiny bit?
3: What's that, sorry?
0: Can I interject? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Well, just on the money thing, because if you think about it, and I'm not really qualified to talk about it, but a lot of these, um, you know, rappers and groups came out of poverty. Yes. So, money as a status you know where whether it's paid whether it's bling whether it's a car whether it's the, the the pool house whether it you know what i mean it mm. whether it's a, a boat you know uh what's it a yacht <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah i was just kind of just yeah yeah no, that's
3: that's that's very true um but yeah, I think the I think those to me are the have been the kind of the significant phases in hip hop. I think and then along the way you've you know you've got the likes of your public enemy and um you know those like kind of real sort of more politically driven, socially conscious acts like um uh, forget the name of them now. Um Mr. Wendell uh, Arrested development. Arrested Development. Yeah. Those 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 kind of acts that um had more kind of socially conscious lyric uh <clears throat> sorry. They were more socially conscious lyrically and um mm. uh and the way they presented themselves. Um
0: they were like uh, Dead Soul and, and Yeah,
3: exactly. Emotion. Yeah, that yeah. that 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 sort of that sort of stuff. And um you had a real again another another movement of um African-Americans really embracing their, the African part of their, their heritage and their culture. Um, so yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but there have been, there have been, there have been like, I think waves of, um, kind of rebellious, uh, or just changing the culture or not changing, but shifting the culture slightly of, of, uh, hip-hop slash rap music, I think.
1: Daniel, where does uh, hip-hop and rebellion fit in for you?
0: Well, I guess for me, that was where any, any notion of kind of protest, you know, de- defying, defying uh, society, de- de- defying authority, you know, that's where it began for me. And that was undoubtedly NWA and Public Enemy, um sort of late 80s early 90s music uh, which you know it it was mine and, and probably a lot of people of my generations kind of entry point into hip hop and it was it was just incredible because you you're literally the <laughs> thinking of any artist or band or you know a rapper however you 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 think think of it standing there uh, and saying something like "Fuck the police and inciting that level of defiance and rebellion and and hatred i mean i I remember watching m t v and it was very surreal because m t v was fairly new, and the kind of coverage it got was fairly new and you almost you almost believed that it it was there was a reality to it that people were genuinely rebelling against the police that that, that these guys were actually inciting riots mm. uh, amongst you know black communities that the you know that wasn't the reality to be fair that's more likely to happen um <laughs> in, in today's society through social media and god knows fake news and everything else and yeah. but but back back then i i was I, I couldn't believe it i i was listening to artists like uh you know like dr j um uh flavor flav public enemy you know i, I was listening to all of those kind of hip hop of that era, and and I, you know, I took I took some of the lyrics seriously. You know, I used to listen to Nas songs and think, "Oh my God, did he did he really kill a man?" Um, <laughs> you know, it,
3: no, no, it, Cypress Hill.
0: It, yeah, think, to be fair, I think Cypress Hill burst the bubble. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think they were too high to kill a man, to be honest.
0: Yeah, exactly. They 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 literally just went so on the nose with with the uh, cartoon violence that um yeah it kind of broke that but yeah i think um you know listening to 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 really extreme gangster uh, rap uh, mob deep uh, booya tribe you yeah. know it, it was it was incredible um and
3: don't forget wu tang i mean
0: well yeah i think i think wu tang were interesting because
3: the, early Wu-Tang early Wu-Tang
0: yeah but but even then I, I don't know the 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 the, the impact of, of the violence and the language was almost slightly tempered uh, by the Kung Fu exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't say you are going to go anyway. yeah. It it just it just took the edge off yeah. but in a good way not not to not, not to not, an, not a negative yeah, yeah exactly um But I always remember listening to—I mean, Wu Tang did this, but all all hip hop albums always had that kind of a load of guys standing on on a street talking shit. uh, Skits—they were kind of—they call them skits. They're not really skits because that implies comedy because they weren't necessarily funny. But you, you had these segments of just people, you know, talking in the street, talking about something that's just happened. Or, or something actually happening in that in that passage of um you know conversation. Hmm. And it you know, it was nearly always about someone getting shot or someone got shot. Someone or, about to get shot. Someone about to get shot. And I'm thinking and that, about
3: someone getting shot,
0: yeah. And that was really weird because I remember what one, one of the most classic examples is the beginning to the beginning of um natural born killers. Oh yeah, some guy walking down the street, and then he just he just goes, uh, "This guy over here be tripping to to his to his girlfriend," and then the next minute, this guy's shouting, "You know what up, home home boy, what up?" And then it's like, "F why why you um you know anyway he yeah. he, <laughs> he basically shoots him he shoots him and and the, and the song starts and it's just yeah. like <laughs> yeah." That's not set. even hidden in the middle of an album, you know, just at the start of you know the intro. At least, to the top. You, know, yeah. at least
3: you know where you where you stood with that one.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah. Not not subtle. So I think, um, yeah, that for me, you know, um, late eighties,
3: early. Like start the Snoop album where it starts off with the guy pissing in the toilet.
0: <laughs> 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 and it from there. Well, there were so, so many like that. Alcoholics. Do you remember the alcoholics?
3: I, I remember Alcoholics. I don't remember the, the
0: skit. I don't remember the start. Oh, of the yeah. There were skits like that. And it, it, well, there's the Funky, Homo, Sapien, Pissing on Your Steps, the <laughs> <laughs> song. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think um, for me, that was my entry point. And then uh, bands like Rage Against the Machine um, really kind of cemented that. Hmm. I think what you
1: said about, um, like, just going back to what you said about F the Police, I mean, even now after all these, what is it, 30 odd years since, or, you know, however long it's been since that release, like, the the impact of those three words as a song title is, is never lost on me. You know, even now, yeah. it's kind of you. you you're, my eyes widen every time I kind of see it written down. It's one thing to slip the line in at the end of a song as it's fading out because you can okay. get away oh. with, you know, it. You can hide it, but to openly declare it back then, you know, as a as a the title of the the song, you know, and have a whole record about it. Like,
3: it's the funny fuss you say that. that. that made, it's funny you say that, though. I find it more impactful now than I did. Than I did back then for any number of reasons. Because cause back then, like, yes, it was impactful and it's like, wow, okay, that's pretty raw. But I find I think because of the times we're living in, I find it kind of more poignant now, I think, because I have more of an understanding of mm. the anger behind it. Um I think back then when I listened to it, it was just it f- I it felt a bit more. Sensationalized as a kid listening to that because it's like, oh my god, I can't believe they're saying this thing and da, da 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 da, like that sort of, that sort of feeling. Whereas now I, I have a real heightened sense of, okay, now I've, I, I really get it because of the times we're living in and the things that have happened, especially over the past year. I think it like that, I, I, I just find it's to me, it's more poignant. Um, that the, the lyrics in that song will feel more poignant now that I think than they did back then.
1: Yeah. But to come out with something as bold, I think in terms of it's, someone yeah. to have a song now, uh, I feel like it's done off of the back of what had oh, already sure. been done. to have been the first. And, and to, yeah, that was an era where, you know, people were up in arms over just the F word, let mm. alone it being directed to, you know, a form of government in that kind of context and it, yeah. it was it, what nwa is what dr dre is what ice cube built their legacy off of those three words hmm. um and it was really interesting because on on research I, I i knew we would talk about about celebrated examples of rebellion like in this context like with nwa so i deliberately wanted to look up examples where an actor in this context had failed and had basically cost someone basically very dearly um are you guys familiar with uh billy paul he is no. the original vocalist for i imagine a song everyone knows me and mrs jones
3: okay yep uh
1: often covered uh freddie jackson i think in the 80s had a very successful version but this is uh billy paul was the first person who ever sang that song um came out in like super early 70 72 uh it came out massively successful massively massively successful. He he followed the song uh, that uh, the following year with a song called "Am I Black Enough for You?"
3: Ooh, and mm. that I assume he was black, right? Yes, he was. Yes,
1: oh <laughs> um, but but, funny, but that basically is it because uh, the uh, the la- he, he, he me and Mrs Jones huge hit with with both audiences, particularly white audiences. However, the um, uh, however, yeah. <laughs> however he followed that the the label. Uh, there's there's some debate over who wanted to release that as a single. Billy Paul claims the label. The label claim it was him. Ultimately, it destroyed his career white audiences absolutely couldn't they felt alienated and they rejected the song and it plummeted down the rankings he released a couple of singles afterwards but he had absolutely lost momentum uh, as a result of of that song um and it, it, it's a great song it's been sampled uh a bunch you probably recognize it if you heard it and um it is a it's, it's a great song uh it is a defiant song it is a you know it's a it is a civil rights black power song however it was the wrong song at the wrong time yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um it, it just, and apparently from yeah for many years he was very bitter um about it's funny because there's two things he was really really bitter about number one was the fact he derailed his career because he felt he could have been as popular as it might sound absurd for us to laugh at but um but he he felt he could have been as popular as michael jackson at one point that was the success okay. he kicked off with with me and mrs jones and he felt he everything was going up and then that one song absolutely derailed his career. And in later years, his other regret of releasing the song was the fact that he ended up not respecting the song. That it was such a great song and a powerful song and a needed song. But because he ended up being so distraught at the, at the demise of his career, he felt he, he, he realized he had ultimately neglected the song as a result. Hmm. Which in of itself is is quite sad in terms of it's it's a great piece of art and deserves probably more discussion in songs of rebellion and things like that. But hmm. due to its timing, uh, it mm-hmm. yeah, it just went the way it did, and I thought well, that was a really very very sad story. I hope you have a cheerier one to follow it with. Um, I don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, I I wanted to dig that out because, I, like I said, I knew we would be talking about uh kind of celebrated acts yeah. of rebellion i think we can look at someone like we mentioned uh you know massive names um uh david bowie and uh eminem etc etc and uh you know nwa et cetera, and it's kind of like yeah they built their name off of it but it's like it's, it's kind of important to sort of stress the gamble that was in play with those things you know uh for nwa massive gamble you know for dr dre to do it now it's not a gamble back then huge gamble and it paid off but there are times when it didn't and there's something else which I, I think dan had um kind of singled out as something that he wanted to kind of discuss at some point um uh, being kind of that kind of protest within kind of music as well so uh, it was the the infamous dixie chicks uh situation which um which is I i'm fascinated by this one um because i can't it, I suppose there's a couple of different factors in play. So um, it was a a Dixie Chicks, obviously revered country and Western act, been going for many, many years. I think they perform under the name, is it The Chicks now? I think Uh, so, yes. They um, basically spoke out in 2003. It was in a performance in London. Um, made a statement criticizing President george w. Bush and the imminent allied invasion of iraq the criticism i'm reading this from uh wikipedia Sorry, this is, wait, they did
3: that they did that while they were in london yeah i just realized so, that was was so I thought, famous. actually <laughs>
1: I hadn't read that bit before, and it's like, oh, you know, in, while they were in Beirut, they
3: yeah. were... <laughs> they off American soil, so we can't get absolutely mobbed.
1: Um, oh, I, I'm, they're less heroes. No, I'm
3: joking.
1: Um, but the criticism led to backlash from country listeners who were mostly right wing and supported the war the dixie chicks were uh blacklisted by thousands thousands of country radio stations and the band members received death threats the backlash damaged sales of their dixie chicks music and concert tickets um they subsequently apologized which it was unfortunate that they've had to do that uh, and saying the remark had been disrespectful, but in 2006, they rescinded the apology, <laughs> saying she felt
0: <laughs> uh, Bush deserved no respect. Obviously, they're railing against Bush, but mm. the problem is America have been in a lot of different wars, occupation. I'm not I'm not questioning just a, the, uh, just a few. Yeah, exactly. And if you start to criticize those behind the war, or those who made the decisions, mm. then you're ipso facto you're criticizing the. America. <laughs> well, well, yes, you're, you're criticizing America, but you're you're criticizing the brave men and women who are putting their life on the line. Yeah, there's, there's, to for freedom, etc., etc., etc. There's that and, weird
3: leap of logic where if you say one thing that's disrespectful against the flag, it's an instant. Okay, so you're basically dissing everyone in armed forces that lay down their lives for you to protect you. Wait, hold on. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's weird. Which is
0: interesting when you then analyse, you know, uh, "killing in the name of" uh, lyric, which is uh, those who, those in the armed forces, are the same who burn crosses, hmm. and you think, wow, okay. Well, yeah, that's pretty direct. Very direct. (laughs) Um, But somehow, I don't know. It it feels as though, just picking up on the whole Dixie Chicks thing, is when you've got a band who have appealed to a certain demographic, a certain crowd, and they've always been, you know, a kind of form of good feel, escapism, you know, good old boys, country music, Mm. to then place uh a left wing or a right wing or, or any kind of protest message um in that kind of classification in that in their music or on stage you know using their their voice and their reach for something completely different it's not going to work whereas i guess something like nwa or rage against the machine everyone knows what they're about you know they know their lyrics the, the people who, their fan base is their fan base. You know, it, it'd be the equivalent of a Rage Against the Machine uh, concert where, you know, Tom Morello took took to the mic and started uh, railing against, I don't know, gay people or, or freedom of speech. What? <laughs> Turnips.
3: <laughs> it Is that <laughs> what, something have you just started reigning against turnips?
0: Well, I mean, they're, they're not known for being pro-turnips. So I don't know how they can suddenly be negative about turnip turnips.
1: turnip mean something else? Is that like a slang or something?
0: No, it's the turnips a turnip, dude. Okay. TJ's <laughs> just being surreal, which is really strange for TJ, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. I, the, actually, I the like the like he was sitting on turnips for a long time. <laughs> like... like it, <laughs> Is this your your podcast protest? You're so used to being the <laughs> really straight man, and me being the idiot that you decided to be the surrealist. No,
3: that was my that was my one moment. I'm I'm back to normal now.
1: <laughs> the thing about the Dixie Chicks thing that always rang out with me was the fact that you, I I, I kind of the the I'd love to sort of. I don't know if there were any interviews that they must have done some, well, they couldn't have do a very open and honest interviews at that time, but wouldn't that be really interesting for you to express a belief to your fans who you believe you have that connection with, you know, you kind of, you share, you know, they've embraced you for however long they'd been making music at that time. must've been a while because they were very established and weren't beyond then. Um, but to have, you've said something and then, a huge portion of them turn on you you know to lose that connection to your fans to it to the point where it makes you ask what did you think i was and what are you because hmm. i don't think that this is an extreme thing to say i can understand the country music industry rejecting it and sort of uh, 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 radio stations maybe saying, okay, we can't really play this and record companies being angry. I can understand that even though it's very, very sad and unfortunate in of itself, but to lose that connection with your fans, that had to hurt like a huge amount. Do
0: you know a more recent example of that? And it's really tragic. Um, uh, Chester Bennington before he, you know, again, very tragically, uh, took his own life. He, well, Linkin Park released an album that considering most of their previous output was fairly, you know, fairly heavy rock with kind of, I guess, you know, rap crossover elements and electronica, but still fairly heavy rock. And then they released this album, which... Can only be described as much more melodic, melodic. What the hell's melodic? <laughs> oh my god, melodic and pop. You know, um, and very, very mainstream. I think it even had, I don't know, some fairly mainstream pop produce, pop producer collaborations and and artists who 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 actually, um, what's the word, cameoed on it, and it got a massive critical backlash so so first there was a critical backlash um, that really angered uh, Chester Bennington he got really angry and then I think there was you know a fan backlash but that got a hundred times worse because uh, Chester Bennington then really kind of started attacking the fans uh, and saying, you know, what what do you what do you expect us to do? Do you expect us to play hybrid theory? Do you want to listen to that for the rest of your life? I'm paraphrasing. Much. He didn't say it like he didn't say that those exact words, but pretty much kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and it was it was really it was strange and it was it was horrific because the the album wasn't that bad. It didn't deserve the response that it got. And it clearly, you know, it cut to the core of the guy. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I don't think he should have responded the way he did. But ultimately, you know, it, it, it's definitely a, a factor in him taking his own life. And yeah, it just such a a strange uh series of events. I mean, there, there's so many artists and bands that you could quote that have, change you know ultimately get got fed up of playing the same music the same songs um even to the same audiences who have just decided you know what we want i want i want to do something different i want to reinvent the music i want i want to i want to kind of reach a new crowd and then you know they they maybe don't succeed or they do succeed but they they lose their 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 core fan base and yeah, it, it just becomes a kind of a chaos between, you know, ego trying, staying true to their own kind of creative identity and and their output and what they, they creatively, you know, want to put out there and, you know, anger and critics. It, it's just such a maelstrom. Whereas I think, you know, David Bowie, there was always the expectation from album to album that he was going to adopt a different persona I think once he'd done it once, you knew that that was that was him that was what he was about and people were much more kind of accepting of you know of that character um and I actually remembered this is a bit of crappy trivia for you, but what do you think was one of the biggest? Uh, backlashes one of the earliest uh backlashes against a band for their choice of album name oh, yeah.
1: i'm
0: sure i'm sure this wasn't the only uh example i'm sure there were examples before this but yeah the beatles they they did an album called bigger than jesus Oh, yeah. oh. Oh. And that completely alienated them from the. Was that when they went and did all the drugs.
3: Huh? Was that when they went and did all the drugs? Oh yeah, probably,
0: probably. Yeah, but-, but yeah, if if you think about it, you know, a band that big, um, having you know, they they obviously had a, a huge kind of Christian, Catholic, Protestant, whatever. You know, they had a huge religious following certainly in america and to come out with something like that was literally you know sacrilegious it's literally blasphemy i
1: have i have to confess i'm not a beatles i'm not a huge beatles fan in any in any um any context but was there any specific context around that title was it as open a declaration as it sounds or was there something else uh was there another meaning to that as a as a as a title
0: um, I don't know the story. I mean, I, I okay. do like the Beatles, but I'm not a hardcore fan, so I couldn't tell you. You know, I, I couldn't give you a quote from John Lennon about why they picked it. I think it was to be provocative to make headlines, which obviously it did. But I, I think it went a lot further than than even they thought or anyone thought it it could have it could have gone. You know, it 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 got them. It was probably one of the few things where, you know, people realized that any publicity is good publicity, even if it's bad publicity. So it got them the headlines and ultimately blew over. Um, But, yeah, it probably took quite a long time, a lot longer than we think because we think of it, you know, in a past sense and the past happens quickly. But at the time, it was, um, yeah, it was... It 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 was the equivalent of fuck the police. It was that it was that bad.
1: Well, going back to what you were saying about Chester's kind of reaction to their complete change of musical pace. I mean, we we I think we touched on that as a as a as a theme for re- rebellion in music in general. It's sort of at the top of this episode, and that notion of uh, an artist rebelling against the musical expectations that people fans listeners um execs media uh, etc have of their music and i think uh if my spider sense is tingling correctly that that's uh, a nice segue for something that Tej was going to uh raise uh, about that kind of notion of uh, just completely uh taking people off of guard from what they may have expected of a certain uh artist
3: Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess uh, kind of thinking of, uh, along the lines of uh, Rebellion and, uh, and like you say, more along the lines of artists who did something very different. I think, you know, there's been quite a few kind of crossover artists from the hip-hop world to various different forms, but one of the earliest that I can remember um, that what that had a, a degree of commercial success, or quite a lot of commercial success, was uh, Run DMC uh, teaming up with Aerosmith for "Walk This Way." And I think it was <coughs> it, it, it jumped out at me primarily because, uh, again, like I say, it was the first kind of major commercially successful crossover to that to that uh, degree. Aerosmith, I think, at the time were uh, on a bit of a lull, shall we? Shall we say? And Run DMC were <clears throat> kind of, you know, making waves in in the hip hop world. And I, I you know, the, just to kind of meld those two worlds, and even down to the video. And that, that's that, that's another thing as well that always struck me: the the video of you know the the two like Run DMC in one room and Aerosmith in another room, and they're both making noise and they're both competing. And then I think Steven Tyler crashes through, and they start like performing together, and they're absolutely. Yeah. rock out um that that whole symbolism of the video i think was uh like kind of added to to that kind of breaking down barriers and breaking down walls um kind of uh imagery i think was quite poignant but yeah i think that's that's one that kind of immediately jumped out at me jumped out to me as kind of and I'm sure you know, I'm sure anyone listening will probably correct me and go, Oh no, there was this hip hop tune back in 1978 that blocked out with I don't know, Rolling Stones or something, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's the one that kind of jumped out at me as uh, kind of you know, we especially for on DMC as well, kind of um, they've been around for a while, but um, a lot of their stuff has uh, you know was like the kind of traditional, kind of old school hip hop sound um and then to just go and cover actually it was it was a cover of Aerosmith's song but just to do that performance with them I think was was uh quite rebellious. Yeah. yeah.
0: And you are right, it completely revitalised Aerosmith's career. Yeah, big because, time. I mean they've been around for about three hundred years. So they've probably been around. Yeah you? and the rest. Yeah. Um yeah. so and yeah. um, just a
3: little bit shorter than Rolling Stones probably. <laughs>
1: uh, did you know that "Walk This Way" was an existing Aerosmith song?
3: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I did mention that. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cover of the of an Aerosmith. Oh, okay. song. Yeah,
1: oh, I missed
2: you saying.
3: Um, I,
1: I actually didn't know that when I, I looked into it before this, and I thought, yeah, no, I, ha- I haven't. I, um, I had no idea that it was an existing. Yeah, song no, it, it was a
3: cover of original song, but um, but apparently, um. Uh Jam Master J was doing cuts of it while they were touring before they even got together. Um and I don't know if that's how the idea came about for them to to do a collab with Aerosmith, but um but yeah, they were they were actually doing some stuff while they were touring with that track as well.
1: So. The weird thing about that song is it doesn't sound like it's a stretch. It doesn't yeah. sound like like it like either of them are doing anything different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's such a perfect it. amalgamation of kind of both of their worlds, and they 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 really created that. Uh, it is yeah, and it's a, it is you know it's a perfect inclusion for the, I think the the topic uh, of of rebellion. What is is there a just something that just popped in my head? Is there uh, a collaboration, a cross genre collaboration that you would cite? has been unsuccessful. (laughs) As a (laughs) musical fan, I've just... Oh,
3: God. Um, I'm sure there is one. It's got to be like a... uh, Well, apparently, Um, apparently mm -hmm. in the Wikipedia entry, uh, Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud did a collaboration for To Do Walk This Way. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Now it's not with really your cross over there.
0: Um, I've got a good one. I've got a good one. I'll go for it. When, because um, we, we, we've mentioned both artists, well, we've mentioned both the, one of the bands and one of the artists. But when Mick Jagger and David Bowie yes. did um, Dancing in the Street, which I believe is a cover as well. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: is that deemed a not a good song?
0: To be honest. I don't think it's a, it's the song that's bad. Like if, if you if you listen to the song and you didn't really think too much about the fact that it was David Bowie and Mick Jagger, because really they're 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 kind of different ends of the musical spectrum. But you know, it, it's not too much of a stretch for them to to sing on the same record. It's just the music video that that just even, <laughs> even now it blows my mind, and it it
3: Mick Jagger and Baggy silk shirt.
0: Ah, it, you just watch it, and and it, it, you. Every time I see it, I I just suspend a sense of just utter despair and disbelief because you just can't believe that that this this record exists. You know, even though it's a bad song, it's hmm. a Martha.
3: It's a cover of Martha and the Vandellas.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, can I give one really, really terrible uh, example of kind of crossover, which, you know, you, you could you could sort of pitch for it being a form of rebellion, even though it was massively flawed and failed. But Chris, Chris Cornell, who's one of my, you know... Uh, audience... I, this is
1: the first one I thought of, actually. I really? wondered
0: if you would say it, yeah. So before I come to it, he, you know, definitely when you think of the song hunger strike which is temple of the dog uh of which he was the singer you know it, and and obviously if you, you think of alice in chains and quite a lot of uh, grunge music which was about you know kind of almost a protest about drug abuse um and war and many other things so he comes from a place of protest music you know obviously thinking of audio slave as well which is kind of uh Rage Against the Machine, but with Chris Cornell as a singer. So, mm. so, if you think of all that, I'm kind of trying to paint that picture. And then he did a a, a collaboration whole album, a whole album um, produced by hip hop legendary producer Timberland. Mm-hmm. Oh and, shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was
1: like, I think it was his last album. Um, Cornell's no, last album. No, was
0: no, it no. not? no luckily it wasn't he um, did he did another album with sound uh, another album oh, it counts, yeah man. right uh, thank, thankfully it's not great you know wouldn't have been great if that was his final dying legacy. Right. but yeah it had uh justin Blake, Blake on it yeah. and it, it was just this weird i don't think it was anything it wasn't really a crossover as in there was it there wasn't, wasn't much rock <laughs> Go it was
1: not it. a merging of worlds at all. It was a no, poppy, Timberlake and Timberland kind of production. And they said, hey, Chris, do you want to sing on all of these songs? And he said, yes, this is a good idea. <laughs> uh, and it, it wasn't. And I remember being excited about it because I, I, um, I just thought this could be really fun. But, um, yeah, I, I remember the first, it's, it's I, inverted commas, worth, inverted commas, and, uh, you know, underline, it's worth looking up there. There's a lead video uh as well i just if you if it's new to you teach it's worth looking at and just going oh right that happened but um yeah that was one of the first things i thought of and i wondered if you were going to say it but for me i've got a really really cool one um go, go. i don't know if you're you guys are familiar that this happened and it should not have and it is is as bad as it sounds de la soul from their last album and the anonymous is the name of the yep. album uh, there, it's a great I album. Mean, lots of lots of really.
0: Please oh, no. tell me you're you're not going to diss the song with the darkness. I am. Justin I Hawkins, that, are you serious? I
1: love it. <laughs> Justin Hawkins of the darkness with De La Soul. It is not a good song, oh, dude. Wait, it's just, really bad. Just tweak to me who the darkness are. Yes, I I nearly did the full set. I'm to <laughs> It's them, it? and the they did a song bad. with De
0: La Soul, and it's not pleasant. Do you know why why I don't Let's I don't it. I don't think it's that bad? Okay. <laughs> because they don't really mix the hip hop and the the kind of rock part. It's almost like it it's 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 them rapping, as as they, they always do, um and and they're fairly, you know, it's it's fairly good. <laughs> kind of standard (laughs) of della soul rapping god can't can't speak so there's that part and then it kind of slowly fades into uh justin from the the darkness singing and i think they might come back in a little bit at the end but they don't try and combine the two things Mm. so they were guests they were very much
1: guests on that on their own album Uh, which was it's it's a cool album and there's lots of really cool songs on it, but there are songs where they're almost not on it, which is a very strange, there's a little dragon song where, um, they're almost not on it, and it's like a six minute song of just little dragon, which is great, but it's like it's a daylight album, right um but right. yeah that that justin hawkins one i i couldn't i can't i
0: couldn't but you only like hate it because let let's face it you don't like the you don't like the darkness if if you know the darkness and and how the darkness sound it's not that bad because it still retains the sound it's like it's like they've just put two ends of two different songs together I, that is all it <sighs> is it does there's no crossover to it. I will. Say, I will say,
1: my my guard was high in the air when it, I saw the words featuring, <laughs> yeah, Justin, and I and I thought it's going to take a lot for me to like this, and I I just didn't, and I haven't actually heard that song for years because it was subsequently deleted from the uh, my iPod. Um, like it's I have to so see it, obviously, but
0: yeah. As I, soon I, as you as soon as you said the name of the album, I was like, <laughs> There's only one song. He's going to. <laughs> But there's a—it's a, what a great collection of artists,
1: though, from David Byrne to Damon Albarn to Jill Scott, uh, Snoop Dogg. It's such a it's little dragon, really bizarre, incredible list of guests uh, for for one album. But um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't endorse that one.
0: See, a really good example. Just jumping in very quickly because you said Damon Albarn, the the best kind of um, kind of I guess sort of semi pop rock. Hip hop crossover is gorillas. I just yeah. think not. Not to be to be fair, the last kind of two albums are terrible, but the early stuff is absolute gold. Hmm.
1: And, and yeah, and actually credit to to Auburn himself because there's a guy who had a very firm fan base with '90s Brit uh, and after many years of kind of you know rocking the, the blur train, he, he completely reinvented himself to the point where he could literally do anything and you know i i think he's he's really earned that right and fought hard for that and I, I i yeah i got a lot of respect for him actually
0: he's even released um i don't know if you call them operas or just theatrical musicals but wow. stuff like that. i have to crash in with probably one of the worst um kind of Crossovers. I know we're. I not... This is a podcast topic in itself, now, isn't it? No, it really is. <laughs> Maybe I should sa- save it for another one. Uh, but I'll, okay, I'll mention this, and I will say no more about <laughs> crossovers. But considering that that both uh both band and artist, I would put in the the at least the top twenty of protest, you know, rebellion artists out there. Considering their musical output, you would actually think. That the two things could fuse together well because both, you know, both artists or set of artists is more than one, um, have definitely, you know, redefined their music several times. But, but the album by Lou Reed and Metallica called the, I think it's called the, uh, Unnamed Feeling or something similar to that is just one of the most terrible <laughs> oh, God. of, you know, of, of genius that I've ever, because you, you know, Lou Reed, he, he has a certain sound, you know, he has a certain voice and he has a certain pace in which he <clears throat> does voice. Hmm. And they're trying to make his voice fit quite kind of fairly fast, hard rock you know, slash metal, and it just does not work. You know, it... Like a beautiful it, it, it go
3: gone. I was just saying it sounds like a beautiful thing.
0: <laughs> you have to, just, just for the car crash experience, just listen to that and scream by uh, Chris Cornell.
1: The, the The topic of this conversation was who is the ultimate music rebel we've spoken for an hour and ten minutes and have not addressed that question <laughs> at all we've uh, discussed some celebrated and failed uh, acts of rebellion and um, kind of busted in the the, the wide...
3: <laughs> that and that, on, on, this, that. on another list that I was looking at earlier, so <laughs>
1: Um, and we, yeah, we haven't uh, addressed that question at all. So I, I, I think we shouldn't. And uh, I think this has been a really, really exciting <laughs> conversation it was in
0: Prince. of itself. I thought I talked about Prince. That was your oh, choice it, you just,
1: okay. My concluding line was going to be: we should save that question for another podcast. And you just gave away my answer. Okay. No one's going to tune
2: in. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but yeah. I think
1: that as a conversation, I think that there's still value in kind of picking a person each and discussing who 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 we would each cite as that ultimate music rebel because we've spoken about lots of incredible um uh se- separate scenarios and i think for me to launch on a on a on a prince uh tirade an hour and 10 minutes into the podcast would keep us here for a little while longer so not tirade i mean endorsement of his genius Um, so for me to kind of do that, yeah, it would keep us here for a while longer. So I think maybe answering that question for a later podcast is probably a good idea. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, yes, this has been our kind of, uh, celebration, ish of the concept of rebellion in music so um if you have any ideas or your own tips we'd love to hear it but hopefully we'll revisit that question of our each each of our own musical rebels at, at another time so uh you can find us once again at forever in electric dreams.com for the other 29 i think episodes uh from our catalog and um uh yes from me i say farewell from yourselves any parting shots for final words
3: Peace out, A-Town.
0: <laughs> I've got one. Fuck everything. Fuck everyone. I wish I could remember the rest of the lyrics, but it does say fuck everyone a lot. People are going to n- not know what that is, but that, that's, the, uh, that's the Darkness uh, and um, Della Soul song.
1: Well, we we always end on a close and that's it now, sadly. I can't believe it. And now we have to play that whole song in its entirety. I'm going to press stop before anything else is said. I <laughs> come the mic, dude. What's up with his walk?
3: Hey, guys, I got your mics.
2: About time. What up, man? Who's mic one? It's me. Mike two? Nice. <laughs> Let's go, uh, let me get this stuff for you. Look up guys? Two, two. Hey yo Mace, you ready? Mace is ready. You y'all got ready?
3: Got spiked with porcupines Look,
2: rode into Regal This ain't a fast track Your tickets ain't straight TSA, yo ass back the NASDAQ IBM The big honcho on the block Bitch, IBM The rock, of death We gon' kill the king Fuck everyone, bitch Bring everything Swing like a mandolin This ain't a sex toy, this ain't Spanish fly. This hop shit pushed the
3: dagger in the devil's eye. Slick brick, yo, get the big pick, yo. Blow the dust covers, peep the age on it. A nose full, sniff a rose ball full. New game, new players, new year. The hardest rock shit you gon' hear.
2: The doctor, fingers fiddling the puss. It looks like an octa. Fresh off the pole, hanging from a hook. I'm in her grassy, he know the hit just to say I cocked her. Click, click, my hardware wears progressive. Sex crime language is leaning on obsessive. The Lord looking down, judging the room needs smudging. But I'm over your stars, screaming the moon ain't not Ain't from Hollis, don't need to tell you who is. But who in here raising the hell? They be like. A man pedastrous, likened to Dexter, murderous lyrical blood splatter over the texture. We live by that cold not to regret living. Electric guitar sparks and night's gunpowder. Your Sabbath ain't black enough to call my blood, bitch. The kill switch just turns it louder.